I pray that as we dig in to the gospel of Mark, that we would have a greater understanding of, of your son and all that he offers us. I pray that, uh, Lord, that you would just, again, your spirit would speak uh, through uh, your word and that you would challenge us, you would change us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to be in verse 9 uh, and following. And uh, I want to ask this question. And I hesitate to ask this in the midst of the red lights and what today means for many Chiefs fans. But when you think of the word kingdom, what comes to mind? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, as, I, as I looked this up, I, I, I had to look up. As a matter of fact, I wanted to look up uh, some of the greatest kingdoms in, in world history. As a matter of fact, I'm going to reference two, the top two. Some uh, would, would probably venture to guess. Number one, I thought about the Mongol Empire or found the Mongol Empire, uh, which was led by Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan and, and uh, his merging with the Mongol Empire in 1270 to 1309 was the largest, listen to this, the largest contiguous empire the world had ever seen. 9.15 million square miles of territory or land, which encompassed 16% of the earth landmass, and a population of over 110 million, or almost 25% of the world's population at that time of the world was led by that. And the second, or sorry, the largest empire ever, the largest kingdom ever was the British Empire. It was the largest the world had ever seen, at one point covering over 13.01 million square miles. Think about that. 13.01 million square miles, which was the equivalent of 22% of the earth's landmass. 22% of the earth at some point in time was under British empire, British rule. It had 458 million people. And in 1938, more than 20% of the world's population and the world's landmass fell under that, right? Or maybe when you think of kingdom and you're a kid, you think of Disneyland, right? And the magic kingdom. Or again, for all you Chiefs fans, Chief's kingdom, <laughs> right? Okay, uh, so I want you to think about that because as we jump into the gospel of Mark, as we uh, started last week with, with Steve leading us in the beginning, I want you to think about this. This whole idea of, of what Mark is trying to accomplish and communicate is this, that Jesus is the son of God, the servant and son of God, and likewise that Jesus came to establish God's kingdom here on earth. The gospel of Mark is the first of the four gospels that's concerning Jesus, all right? It was the first written. Uh, he does some, some things that he does in a very simple way because he has a very simple thing that he's trying to communicate, that Jesus is the son of God and that he's here to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And so he is ushering in God's kingdom with this. And so Listen as we jump into Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9, uh, and, and we're going to continue this. Listen to what he says, all right? At that time, Jesus what? He came, right, from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. 
Verse 12, it says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. See, here's the truth that we have to begin to understand. And what we want to dig into and relate with is to see what Mark has for us, what it calls us to, how we're to live, how we're to act, how we're to respond, what we believe about Jesus matters, who Jesus is matters. And we have to understand that. And listen, there are a lot of things that take place. And as I brought up this idea of kingdom, we can look at kingdoms in various ways. We can look at this chief's kingdom idea. We can look at this magic kingdom idea. We can look at the kingdoms and the empires that were built in the past historically as far as world dominant leaders and things like that. But the simple fact remains that every one of those kingdoms will fall. The magic kingdom will be over. Chief's kingdom, gone. Yay, says every Broncos fan. No, I'm just joking. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, all of those things fall or flounder or disappear, but the truth of the matter that Mark is trying to get us to understand is, number one, that Jesus will never fail. Jesus will never fade. He's the son of God. He came to accomplish certain things, and likewise, his kingdom is here forever. That Jesus is coming to establish a kingdom that will be here forever. And so as we dig into this, I want you to understand, we who have heard, who have believed the good news of, of God's saving power, need to hear it again with a new emphasis, to, to catch a fresh, to, to get a fresh uh, implication, or to, to catch a fresh its implications for our lives in an hostile, oftentimes hostile environment. As we jump into a gospel, as we jump into one of the four gospels, I believe that we have to begin to understand or, 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 or take a, a fresh, a new look and implications, put the implications into our lives so that, listen, in the midst of a hostile environment, that we can rest assured that Jesus is who he said he is and that his kingdom will never fail, fade, but will always flourish. Listen, in today's world, we have so many things to be overwhelmed by, to be burdened by, to think about, to, to, to worry about at times. And yet at the same time, what we begin to understand is this, that regardless of what happens, we should understand the importance of Jesus and our relationship with him and how his kingdom plays out in a daily basis, both in our lives and in those lives around us, the people who are around us. I believe wholeheartedly that what is going on in our world, in our culture, should speak volumes, should hopefully ignite within us a desire to see more people come to a saving relationship with Jesus 
and for the kingdom of God to be established here on earth. All right? So if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Number one, or there's the big statement. Jesus came. This is off the very first part in verse nine. Jesus came to bring about, listen, the radical kingdom of God and to call us to repent and believe. Jesus came for those very specific reasons, to bring about the radical kingdom of God and to call us to repent and believe. So Jesus came to establish God's kingdom as well as to call us, listen, to repent and believe and be part of the kingdom. All right, so we're gonna jump in and we're gonna look at this, this this idea of what's taking place. Listen at, at verse nine, he says this, at that time, what time is that? We just got done looking at John and how John was coming to proclaim the good news of the coming Messiah, right? We looked at John the Baptist and his role and what's taking place. And so John is out baptizing people and and these are things that are taking place. And then it says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Listen, this is a formula, this whole idea of what we're talking about here, where Jesus came to bring about a radical kingdom. There is a formula, this is a formula for dramatic and radical change in our world and in our lives. We as believers have to understand that Jesus did not come to just make your life simple or better. Jesus came to radically transform each and every one of our lives, to change us from what we were to who he wants us to be, from where we were trapped in sin and turmoil and struggle to be walking in freedom, to walk in the life that he offers us. Listen, all of us have experienced things over the last year that we could sit back and go, man, I was worried about this. Man, I was fearful over that. Of which we should really begin to go, how does the radical work of God working in my life and establishing his kingdom, how should that change my outlook over what's gone on over the last year? I don't care if it's politics or COVID. All of those things being played out in our current circumstances, in our current culture, have wreaked havoc on people's lives. And I would venture to say that a large majority of that havoc is a result of us not understanding the radical work that Jesus came to perform as he establishes his kingdom and he calls us to repent and believe. Listen, before Jesus could start his ministry, two things had to happen to him. Number one, he was going to be baptized, which is what we see played out here. Number two, he was going to be tempted. And we're going to jump in and we're going to look at these two things, these two significant areas as we jump in past that here in a little bit and start to deal with his temptation and then looking at what his call was, the calling of his first disciples. So I want to give you these three things today about the baptism of Jesus and what what takes place. Sorry, these two things uh, that we're going to mainly look at, the baptism and his temptation. But under baptism, I've got three things I want to give you. Number one, Jesus' baptism is significant to God's kingdom work. We have to begin to understand Jesus' baptism is significant to God's kingdom work, all right? And here's the reason why. All four gospels record the baptism of Jesus. All four of them. Every single gospel records that. And if you know anything about the gospel of Matthew, he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Baptism represents something. Baptism shows us something. All of those things are are things that we have to begin to understand and wrap our mind around. But I want you to know this, that a spiritual awakening is happening in the lives of Israelite people here when John is going out into the wilderness and he's proclaiming the good news, the spiritual awakening is happening in the lives of thousands of Israelite people who were streaming out of the cities, out of the areas they were at to go and listen to this message of this strange man. I mean, let's be honest. If you have a guy who's out in the wilderness, who's preaching, who's eating locusts and honey, who's, whose clothing is rather ragged, Right? Maybe it'd be like Davy Crockett, I don't know, standing on the streets of New York City telling people to repent and believe. I don't know what it would look like right now, right? But it's this idea that that the people of Israel were streaming, coming by the droves to hear the what? The gospel, to hear the news that John was proclaiming, that there was one who was greater than him, who would come, who would save him, and that he was not able to carry the thongs of the sandals of the, that one who is coming. And here comes Jesus. Jesus comes down. John's preaching this. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now listen, this is the message we still have and we need to hear Today, this gospel message that John was proclaiming is the message that all of us have to understand. As a matter of fact, I would say this to you every day, that your role and your goal as you're reading scripture is that you preach the gospel to yourself every day. Do you want to know why? Because the gospel keeps you humble. The good news of Jesus should keep you humble. When I hear people say this, wow, that guy doesn't deserve to be saved. Whoa. When was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? Because the last time I checked, based upon merit, I got no merit to stand on. Based upon what scripture teaches us, I got no good thing that I offer. That all of my righteous works are like what? Filthy rags, according to scripture. And yet, in some way, shape, or form, Christians got this mentality that there are some who deserve to be saved and some who don't. That there are some who have earned the right of salvation and there are some who don't. When the reality is that when I preach the gospel to myself day in and day out, I have to understand the significance of the gospel is the significance to God's kingdom work. And so I have to remind myself This is the message we still have and we still need to hear today and every day. Listen, John had known Jesus all his life, right? If you know anything about John, John was Jesus's cousin. John was born of Elizabeth, right? Mary, as she found out that she was gonna have Jesus, she was gonna be burying Jesus, goes to meet with Elizabeth and Elizabeth's like, hey, my son just leapt in my stomach when when he heard the good news. So John is coming to prepare the way for Jesus. John had known Jesus all his life. They were cousins. And listen, there was nothing in Jesus' life. If you go back and read Matthew, if you go and read Luke or John, there was nothing in Jesus' life that John had seen to require repentance and confession. And so listen, when Jesus comes down to John to be baptized, John says, no. Why would I baptize you? You don't need baptized. And it's important for us to understand this, that Jesus' baptism is significant to God's kingdom work. Jesus leads the way in obedience to what the Father had called him to do. So there is something that plays out here that we have to begin to understand. Jesus being baptized, 
All right, and here's the three things I want you to see, that Jesus' baptism is significant to God's kingdom work. There are three things under that I want you to see. Number one, Jesus being baptized was an act of identification. Listen to what it says in verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw what? Heaven being torn open. Now, Jesus in this idea of identification is associating himself with us, with imperfect humans, with mankind. Jesus was 100% God, but yet 100% man. Jesus in this identification, it was an act of an identification where he's identifying himself with us. He took our place, listen, with baptism or beginning with baptism, not just the cross. I hope you begin to see this play out, that when Jesus came to earth, he took our place at baptism, not just at the cross. Though you and I deserve the cross because of our sins and our infirmities, Jesus went to the cross so we wouldn't have to bear the weights of our sins and infirmities. Jesus also took our place with his baptism because he identifies himself with us. And listen, Jesus being baptized was an empowering moment. See, when he took the place of a sinner and was baptized with a baptism of repentance and confession, he identifies himself with us. And listen, listen to what it says in verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being what? Torn open. Listen, there is something important for us to understand at this point about this. Jesus goes down in obedience to what God has called him to do, and he sees heaven torn open. Now, it's important for us to understand this idea of what this torn open really means. Because it's a very significant thing. So Jesus was baptized by John the Jordan as he was coming up out of the water. All right? We see this statement. Now, here's number two, and I want you to see this. Jesus being baptized was an empowering moment. Okay? So I want to tie both of these together with an act of identification and with this empowering moment. In verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, it says, he saw heaven being torn open. In the NIV, which is what I currently use, and as I'm preaching out of, I've preached out for years, there's a slight flaw to a certain extent, if we want to call it this, all right? This idea is as Jesus was coming up out of the water, if you were to read it in the Greek, it says immediately. So immediately as Jesus come up out of the water, immediately heaven was torn open. Do you know that in Mark, there were only two significant uses of this idea of torn open. Number one is in Mark 10, where we see that the heaven was torn open. And the other time that that same term is used is when the faith of the centurion, or the centurion after Jesus had died on the cross, is standing there, and he says, surely this man was the son of God, and guess what was torn open? The veil. The temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, ripped open, tore open. And so here's the beauty of this picture. That when this idea of Jesus coming up out of the water and the heaven was torn open was this identification of now God has a relationship with man through who? Jesus. And when Jesus dies on the cross and heaven is torn open, now God has a relationship with man through Jesus. God has, or, or man has forgiveness of sins through 
Jesus. He identifies with us, and then at the same time, he is empowered. Jesus being baptized was an empowering moment. And so when we see this played out, we have to begin to understand this idea of heaven being torn open, this idea of this empowerment of what's taking place, that that at this point, there was a divine intervention, a new revelation in Jesus. There was this new age in which the old things were going to be gone, and the new was coming into play. A matter of fact, as you follow along with me, it says in verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, there's the identification, immediately he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, here's what's important for us to understand. When this idea of being torn open takes place, that we have to begin to see what takes place where we talked about that God unites with us in baptism, that God unites within, with us in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But I want you to understand this, that immediately God is accessible to an extent not previously known. For over 400 years, God had been silent, right? At the end of the Old Testament, the prophets, God stops to speak, and all of a sudden, there's this silence. Nobody knows what's going on. But now Jesus shows up, and Mark is showing this, that Jesus shows up. There is now divine intervention, that God is providing the way, that God is speaking. So if you think about John 1, if you can look at and think about Hebrews 1, in the beginning was the Word with John 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God is speaking into humanity, into culture, into all existence, establishing the kingdom of God with the essence of what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus' baptism is very important for us to understand. And I hope you understand this idea of being torn open, the beauty of this picture, that as Jesus comes up out of the water, that that heaven is torn open. And likewise, when Jesus dies, that heaven is torn open and we're given what? Access to God through his son, Jesus. Listen, Jesus being baptized was an empowering moment. And if you'll notice this, in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, he then goes on and he says that, listen, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. It's this idea of coming down. There's no greater gift that God can give man than Jesus. But listen, when Jesus is baptized, he receives the Spirit. Now listen, that doesn't mean... Hear me out, that he didn't have the spirit before him, okay? It's, it's a sign, it's a symbol, it's the beauty of God working that he pours out his spirit on Jesus even more so. That was evident from the beginning. And the spirit descending on him like, on like a dove is huge. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse one, it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. See, 800 years before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah is proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the prisoner would be set free from the sins and the bondage and the chains and that the captives would be freed to walk in a relationship with Jesus. So listen, Jesus being baptized was not just an act of an identification, but it was also an empowering moment. And it's something that should relate with all of us. There is no greater gift that God can give than Jesus. And the third thing I want you to see, Jesus' baptism is significant to God's kingdom work. And I want you to see this, that Jesus 
being baptized was an affirming moment. It was important. See, the gospel opens with the statement, Jesus, the gospel of Mark opens with the statement that Jesus is the son of God. And at baptism, God himself affirms that Jesus is his son. Look at verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. You are my what? Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Listen, there are a lot of things going on around or a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts, a lot of beliefs about who Jesus is. But to deny that Jesus is God's son, to deny that Jesus is God is a completely anti-biblical, anti-Christian belief. All kinds of people have beliefs about Jesus. But what Mark is setting up to do is to show us that Jesus is the what? The Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was sent to establish God's kingdom. It's important for us, in order to understand Mark, that we have to understand who Jesus is, who Jesus claims to be, who Jesus says he is, what God says Jesus is, or who God says Jesus is. Jesus being baptized was an affirming moment where God says, he is my son, and with him I am well pleased. Why is he well pleased? Because Jesus was obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And so Jesus' baptism is an affirming moment that God affirms who Jesus is and that any denial of Jesus being God's son, any denial of Jesus being God is a denial of God himself. So it's important for us to understand. Listen to what he says again. And a voice came from heaven. Now, I think for some reason, maybe we picture James Earl Jones or whatever it is up there. But I want you to think about this. A voice comes from heaven and it literally echoes out and says, you are my son whom I love with whom or with you I am well pleased. Imagine being John. And seeing or hearing this statement. Imagine being a person who's out there to be baptized and you hear that echoing throughout. And at what point or what do you begin to say or do? Listen, this, I believe, because of what's going on in this affirming moment, enables Jesus to speak and act on behalf of the Father. As a matter of fact, here's the beauty of what takes place here. Jesus' baptism and temptation lead us into his ministry. And I believe without his baptism and without his temptation, his ministry would not have taken place the way it did. But God had it set up in a very specific form, in a very specific fashion, that Jesus' baptism and temptation would then lead into his ministry. So here is the beautiful picture of what's taking place. Remember, Jesus' baptism unites us with him. He tore, tears open this idea that heaven is tore open and he has a relationship with man. 100% God, 100% man. That's the beauty of the baptism. And now we're gonna get into temptation. And here's what I always trying to push or let us understand. Anytime, listen, and, and I think there's something that we have to begin to understand here as believers. And there's something we have to begin to understand maybe if you're not a believer and you need to put your faith or you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus is that any time baptism takes place, when you make a commitment to follow Jesus, that the moment you make that commitment to follow Jesus, I can guarantee you what's gonna happen next. It's called temptation. 
It's called Satan's going to work overtime. It's called the Satan's going to do everything he can to discourage you, to dissuade you, to make you turn the other way, to make you think maybe I, I shouldn't have done this in the first place because here's what we have to begin to understand in verse 12. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about the gospel of Mark, and I want to encourage you with this, Mark is all about the term immediately. If you have NIV, it's going to say at once, at times. But Mark uses that statement 42 times throughout the gospel of Mark in 16 chapters. So Mark is trying to communicate the immediacy of what takes place, the importance of what takes place. So Jesus is baptized right? In Jesus' baptism, the voice of the Father says, this is my son who I am well pleased with and he loves. And then listen to this, verse 12, at once, immediately at his baptism, he was immediately led out into the, uh, into the wilderness to be tempted. So listen to verse 12. At once the Spirit, what? Sent him out into the desert. So here's number two. When we talk about Jesus coming to bring about the radical kingdom of God and the call and call us to repent and believe, I want us to understand this, that Jesus' baptism is significant in God's kingdom work. And number two, that Jesus is led into temptation by the Spirit. The same Spirit that was just poured out upon him is the same Spirit that led him out into temptation. And listen, James, the book of James says this, that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That in the midst of what's going on, that when I walk in obedience to what God has called me to do, I put my faith and trust in him. I go through and I get baptized. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to be led into temptation. You're going to be led into a time of trial where you're going to meet certain obstacles and certain things that have to be overcome. And you choose to believe. Do I believe what the Lord says or am I gonna run into the temptation? Listen, that runs throughout our day every day. There's not a single one of us who doesn't walk through a temptation. There's not a single one of us who haven't walked through a trial. But listen, it's important for us to understand that as Jesus is led into temptation by the Spirit, that he also withstands it. And likewise, that we can withstand the temptations, not based upon our own strength, but based upon the fact that we live in the Spirit, that we live in the power of Jesus working in our lives. And so it says this, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Now, the idea, or, or into the desert, the desert is what? Dry. It's barren. It's deserted. Right? There's not people who live there. There's not water. There's not the things we need. But listen, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. Again, immediately, Mark uses this term 42 times. And I want you to understand, it's the showing the importance of the work that God is doing. So after committing to Jesus, following through with baptism, Satan is going to tempt Jesus here at this point in time. And listen, significant of what takes place. He was in the desert for 40 days. What happens in 40 days in the Bible? 40 is a very significant number. Matter of fact, 40 days continues this baptismal theme. Israel was in the wilderness for how many years? 40. Noah built the ark and it rained for how many days? And nights. 40. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah for 40 days and 40 nights was on Mount Horeb. Each instance was a proving ground. 
a test of faithfulness and a promise of deliverance. Every time you and I go through temptation, it is a test of faithfulness and it's a promise of deliverance. That every time I am tempted, I'm gonna be tempted to do things that I know I shouldn't do. But listen, it's a test of faithfulness. And if you know anything about James, it says that that when I'm tested, it develops perseverance. And that perseverance, when it grows to fullborn, it gives into faith or leads to faith. And so every time I'm tempted, every time I'm tested, It is a test of faithfulness, but listen to me. It's also a promise of God's deliverance in every way, shape, and form, that God will deliver me from the temptation, that God will deliver me through the trials, that God will walk with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Listen, no temptation. If I have no temptation in my life, if I feel like I'm not being tempted by Satan day in and day out, maybe Satan's just comfortable with you where you're at. Maybe you carry or bear no weight, no worry for Satan. Maybe he says, I don't have to worry about that guy. He's already doing it on his own. Listen, verse 14, or sorry, verse 12 and 13. And it says that once the spirit sent him out of the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days. I brought this up this morning. I want you to think about this because when we read the gospel messages, we oftentimes look and go, oh, see, he was tempted. Could you imagine? It wasn't just the three temptations that we read about in Matthew and Luke. Jesus was tempted in every way at all times, consistently for 40 days. Can you imagine that? Over and over and over and over again. I know, listen, as a youth pastor and as a pastor, I've heard people say, well, it just, it was constant. It was a barrage. It's over and over. And I finally gave into it. Jesus never gave in. Not once. He's in the wilderness. He's in the desert. He's in a barren time. He's starving for food. He had been fasting. He's exhausted. He's worn out. He's been tested and tried in every way. And yet there was no sin in him. Jesus came to that ultimate encounter with Satan on the cross. But he came to that ultimate encounter with the devil on the cross as a result of also going through the temptations that he faced. And at any point in time, Jesus could have walked away, but Jesus always said, not my will, but the Father's. It's important for us to understand that Jesus was pressured, he was tempted, and he was assaulted in every way by Satan. And listen, it's going to happen the same way in your life. That Satan is going to pressure you, he's going to tempt you, he's going to assault you in every way to make you turn and walk away from Jesus. The question is, is that what you want to do? And then number three, I want you to see this. We said that Jesus came to bring about the radical kingdom of God and to call us to repent and believe. So we know that Jesus' baptism is significant to God's kingdom work, number one. Number two, we said that Jesus is led into temptation by the Spirit. Listen, sometimes the Spirit's got to work in our lives in order to put our faith and trust in the Lord and the Lord alone. And then number three, listen, ministry begins. All of us, this plays out in our lives as well. That when we follow with faith, 
believer's faith with baptism, we're going to walk into a storm or a trial, a temptation in our lives. And listen, as a result of those two things going on, it leads to the ministry efforts of what God wants to do in our life. And that's exactly what takes place. Because after Jesus' baptism and after his temptation, his ministry begins. And listen to how his ministry begins. There are three things that, are t- that take place right here in this simple verse, verse 14. After John, so John is now put in prison. After John was put in prison, it says that Jesus goes to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. So here's what happens right? Jesus is baptized. Jesus is tempted. Jesus' ministry begins. And here's how his ministry begins. Number one is through preaching. It's the proclaiming of the good news of the gospel, proclaiming the good news of God. All of us, that's our call. The ministry that all of us have called to, every single believer is called to do ministry. Every single believer is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is called to live on mission, is called to proclaim the good news. Guess what? All of us, You may say, well, Brian, I'm not called to preach like you're called to preach. No, but you're called to proclaim the good news, to preach the good news to those who are around you. And you can't deny that. It's all throughout scripture. Jesus' ministry begins as a result of his baptism and temptation. And he preaches the good news of the gospel. And then listen to what he says. Repent, well, sorry, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is, what? Near. Repent and believe the good news. Here's here's what I would say to wrap all of this up. All All of this is to inspire the readers, the readers of the gospel of Mark, us as well. All of this is to inspire the readers to acknowledge Jesus as the son of God. And as we acknowledge him as the son of God, we begin to see what he's talking about. He's proclaiming the good news, the good news that, listen, I made a way Listen, I tore open the heavens through baptism and I made a way to have a relationship with you because I was 100% God, but yet 100% man. I tore open the heavens, I ripped the veil, so now you have a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through the shed blood on the cross, and he offers us. So Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, that the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Now listen to me when I say this. And I want you to understand how this plays out because I believe wholeheartedly and a lot of things are going on in our political upheaval and worry as believers is this, that we don't understand the kingdom of God like we should be understanding the kingdom of God. That when we start talking about the kingdom of God has come here, that God is here, that God is working now, that God is at work. And if that means that the United States of America ceases to exist because the kingdom of God is going to propel and move forward, then that's the way God is going to play it out. I am so worried and flustered and frustrated about people who are believers that are so upset and thinking that if the United States failed, that the kingdom of God would fail. When the truth of the matter is based upon a biblical stance and understanding that we have to begin to understand that the kingdom of God will never fail that the kingdom of God was everlasting. It is progressive in moving forward. And listen, all of this, again, is to inspire readers to acknowledge Jesus as the son of God. Mark recognized Jesus as the true king of the new people of God, the new Israel that would later be called in the book of Acts, the church. Jesus is our king. We are the new Israel and we are the church. 
And if you are a believer in Jesus, you and I are sons and daughters of the King. We are sons and daughters and we are part of a kingdom that will never fade, will never fail, will never flounder, but will only flourish. It will only progress and is an eternal kingdom. Listen, the good news is that a breakthrough has occurred that God's power has broken through, that Jesus came to announce that the kingdom is at hand. The one who can master a life, who can put it in order, who can bring peace and harmony into it and supply power, which will produce a character that no one else can rival, or can rival is at hand through Jesus. And listen to what he says. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And here's the beauty of this. In the midst of his proclaiming the good news, in the midst of his proclaiming the kingdom of God is near, in the midst of him calling us to repent and believe, he then calls his disciples. And let me tell you this, that just in this story, yes, he calls fishermen, and he goes out and he calls James and John, but he's calling you. He's calling me. He's calling us to be disciples, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, that the Son of God is here. And listen, as believers, the Son of God is here. He is establishing his kingdom now. And regardless of what happens politically, regardless of what happens economically, regardless of what happens medically in our world and in the United States around, that the kingdom of God will not fail. So listen, here's the good news of Mark. The gospel of Mark, that the Son of God is here and the kingdom of God is being established and he wants you and I to be a part of it. So the question is, am I? Here's how I just very simply want to finish. That if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never believed or followed him in believer's baptism and said, I, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again, but I haven't followed in that obedience thing. This is an obedience thing. And listen, I can tell you wholeheartedly that the minute you choose to go public and you make that profession public, I can guarantee you what's going to happen. It's called trials, temptations, struggles. It never fails. Every time I baptize somebody, every time I've been a part of that, it's like, man, I got hammered. This week, Satan come at me hard. Everything's going to go haywire. Satan's going to come at you in every way, shape, or form to mislead you, to get you off the beaten path. And the simple fact is, listen, in the midst of those trials, perseverance developed, my faith grows. And as my faith grows, my ministry also grows as well because here's the good news. Jesus takes a broken person just like you and just like me and he reaches down into the pit and that miry clay and he pulls us up and he cleans us off and he makes us brand new and he sends us on the way and he says, go, share your story. Share my story. Talk about how God saves those people who could never be saved before you thought but yet Jesus has showed up. Jesus has called you to a new life. Jesus is calling you to a new kingdom. That's the good news. And you gotta preach it to yourself day in and day out. You preach it to yourself so that you preach it to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. <clears throat>
We thank you for the fact that Jesus was obedient to everything that you called him to do. He was tempted and he was tried in every way, but yet there was no sin in him. He walked in obedience by being baptized. He tore open the, the heavens, or the heavens were torn open as a result of his obedience and baptism, and the heavens were torn open again as a result of his death and his resurrection. We know that that veil was torn, and we can have access to the Father through the Son, and that you give us the Spirit who prays for us when we don't know what to pray for. Lord, maybe there's somebody online or maybe there's somebody here today who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus and would say, that's me. I wanna, I wanna do that. I wanna repent and believe. That's the simple call of the gospel, to repent. In other words, to turn from what I was doing in the past and to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, offering, rose again, offering me life and life more abundantly. Listen, if you've done that and you're here in person, I would love to talk to you. If you have done that and you're online, you're watching online and you say, that's me, I wanna walk forward in baptism, we would love to have you comment. We'd love to have you direct message us. You can message us, you can send us an email. We would love to talk with you. But here's how we wanna simply close. If you're here in attendance, we're gonna close. You're gonna walk out the doors. You can place your offering in the offering plates. But I wanna pray that we as a church understand the role of Jesus and the role of the kingdom here in Independence and in Kansas City and around the world. And that God wants to use you and me to accomplish that, to bring about his kingdom. Father, we pray that you would use us in a great way. We know that trials and temptations are going to come. We know that Satan is going to work overtime. But God, let us rely upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who gives us the strength to withstand all those trials, the spirit to give us the wisdom to walk and the words to speak. God, would you have your way today? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.